So this is, for some of you, this has really been, um, I know this has been kind of a whirlwind last few days. Um, I heard that last weekend was great, uh, just um, the way you honored and loved Don Matt and his family. Um, this is a weekend of uh, graduations and, and year-end uh, school year activities, and you're thinking um, what's, what's next for the summer. And so I just want to say thank you for being here. And I want to just, can we just collectively just take a deep breath and just be right here? Um, in fact, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And... Um, Do just take a couple of deep breaths. Pay attention to maybe if there's just a part of you that feels a little stressed right now. Um, Maybe your shoulders are tense. Um, Just remember that when God breathed life into Adam, it it was more than just physical life. He animated his soul. And as you inhale, will you let God animate your soul? Let God breathe into you. And then as you exhale, and just continue that rhythm of inhale, exhale. Um, When we exhale, we're ridding our bodies of toxins and things that we don't need. So as you exhale, maybe you walked in here with something that you need to set aside, something that you need to exhale, breathe out. Um, Just let that be for now. Just in your own words, um, just a quiet prayer to God, um, just letting him know that you are here to receive and that this is a place to rest and receive. Lord, I do thank you for uh, allowing us just a a place, a setting where we um, can press pause and how important this is and uh, Lord, in the stillness of this moment, we recognize that our minds sometimes are not so still. Um, But as we are physically still, I pray that our heart, soul, mind would be still and expectant before you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. All right. So... um, so I want to begin, uh, this is kind of a weird, uh, you know, uh, Beth, my wife is here, but I'm going to begin by telling a story about a girl that I was dating that was not my wife, um, however <laughs> awkward that is, um, before I met my wife. That's a very important aspect of this story. Um, so I was in, I was in ninth grade. Uh, my dad had just gone to a new church, so I was kind of new there. It was the summer uh, before my freshman year. And there was a girl named Dawn that caught my eye. I hadn't mustered up the, the courage to actually talk to her um, or anything, but I did um, observe her at, at church. And I remember vividly when she came up to me after Sunday school and before the church service, and she said, hey, can I sit with you in church? And on the inside, I mean, I am throwing a party. I mean, it's just like, yeah, <laughs> yes. But on the outside, it was just like, yeah, yeah, that'd be, you know. And uh, no sooner did I say, yes, you can sit with me, that she said, well, good, because I've noticed that Charlie Baker always sits next to you, and I really like Charlie. 
So if I'm sitting close to you, I know I'm going to be close to Charlie. And I, um, so I was, I was desperate, and I said, yeah, sure, that's fine. And so I remember vividly uh, sitting in between uh, Don and, and Charlie for that, for that service. And to this day, I still, it's still a story that Don and, and Charlie and I share. We think it's kind of funny. Um, so here's the, here's the point of that. What if we lived our lives in such a way that people wanted to be with us, not because of us, but by being close to us, they knew they were going to be closer to Jesus. What if we lived our lives so close to Jesus that just the world was like, uh, there is something about you and who you have spent time with that makes me want to spend time with you. And it's a real humbling approach. (laughs) Um, But how cool would it be if, if we realized that people aren't really after us, they're after the one who has made such a difference in us. And I, um, I see in scripture times where people were more wooed towards faith in God than they were wowed. And I want us to look in, in Acts chapter 4 at one of those examples where Peter and John, um, their relationship with Jesus had made such an impact that others were drawn to it. Um, before I read that, that verse, um, Acts is an exciting book, um, as the name implies. It comes right after the gospel. So this, you have this examples of life, uh, how Jesus lived his life and how others were able to live with him. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, each with their own perspective. Um, but I think it's interesting that the next book in the Bible, it's not Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Bible study. It's not Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, church service. Um, it's not Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, potluck, although I think that would really be a good uh, experience. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, actions. So this experience that they've had led to getting up and doing something about it. And so we have story after story of what it's like for these people um, to live um, changed because of what has taken place because they had had this relationship with Jesus. So in Acts 4, the um, I don't. This one's not going to be on the screen. Uh, verses one through four, and verse seven. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Uh, they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So it's a, it a pretty rapid growth. Um, they weren't doing church growth conferences at the time, but I'm sure Peter and John would have been asked uh, to do something uh, for that. And they, uh, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? So there's something intriguing about what's taking place. Now in Acts 3, we know what took place that caught their attention. And uh, it is uh, their healing of a, a lame beggar. Um, it, this beggar reached out as, in particular to Peter, and Peter said, I'm penniless. I, I can't give you what you're asking for, but what I do have, I give to you. And he shared this power that he had experienced in Christ and shared it with him. And so the the picture that we have in Acts 3, it says this literally, that that man clung to Peter after he had been healed. And I think, again, it wasn't about Peter. I think that 
that man was so drawn to, okay, whatever that power is that gave you to do this, I want to be close to that. So we already kind of see, uh, see pictures of that. And then, uh, so they, they ask, uh, they ask Peter and John by what power or what name do you do this? Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And this was a really bold statement because they are speaking to um, the wealthiest, most influential and powerful and a very intellectual group of people. Uh, This was the same, uh, many of these people would have been the same people who condemned Christ to death. So this was, uh, this was a big moment for him to declare something with, with that kind of boldness, uh, taking his life in his own hands. The word for salvation, and we might have, depending on your, your faith upbringing, you might have different perspectives of what it means to be saved or to get saved. Um, and it uses a couple of different words for salvation here, but one of them is um, it's talking about just being rescued from suffering, which is very much what took place in Acts 3 with this, this, um, the uh, beggar who was lame but was healed. So there was a, he was rescued from suffering. But then he also kind of uses that same term in saying that we have an opportunity in Jesus to be rescued from suffering. And so I, I mentioned that for a couple of things. Uh, one is that... Um, Peter is recognizing, you know, that, that guy yesterday, that lame beggar, he's not the only one that was suffering. I bet, I bet you too are suffering. Peter was one that was like, I know personally what it's like to suffer. And so I think there was this, um, this recognition, yeah, you're, you're wealthy, you're intellectual, you're powerful, you're influential, but guess what? I, I bet you suffer. I bet there's something going on inside that you're wrestling with. I've done a little bit of research on Marin County. Uh, I've lived in California a little over four years, so just kind of getting to know different pockets. Um, I don't know if you knew this or not, but uh, the people make a little bit more money out here than they do in other parts of the world. Did you know that? Yeah, uh, definitely more than what they made in Alabama. I can tell you that. Um, we are in an area where people are wealthy, where people do have power, if nothing else, just the power to kind of take care of themselves, um, to meet whatever needs they think they have and to fulfill their wants. Um, we are in a very intellectual, educated society out here. But one thing I do know also about Marin County is that people suffer. Um, and I don't think we have to go outside the church to know <laughs> that people suffer. Um, when Suzanne, when you asked how important is community to you, one reason it's so important to me is because I suffer. And one of the ways that I'm rescued from suffering is by the people around me, walking with me. Uh, by those people that say, okay, this is not ideal, but we're sticking with you. And in the church, outside the church, this is one thing I know, and that is that people are suffering. Whether they show it, whether they maybe they've they've there's a thick veneer covering over whatever it is that's causing them to suffer. But um, I do know that 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 suffering is universal. So the salvation that we offer is not just hey, I want you to say this prayer so that someday you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. It is it is we're inviting them into a life 
where they can realize that they can be rescued in the midst of their suffering. And it's not necessarily rescued, but like you're never going to suffer again. We'd love to be able to make a promise like that, but it is a rescued in our suffering. Jesus is the one that says, I will come in and I will walk with you through those things. You won't be alone. And so I think that's, uh, again, that's what was going on, giving Peter such boldness and reflecting on how that had been such a difference for him. And so when they, uh, verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now I want to, I don't want us to just kind of go, oh yeah, yeah, they had been with Jesus. Like, let this kind of sink in. Had they, like, having been with Jesus, was that like they committed themselves to uh, once a week meeting for an hour with Jesus? It was obviously, it was a lot more than that. Um, they, um, they ate together. They camped out together. They journeyed together. They cried together. They laughed together. Um, they drank together. They did everything together. Um, the disciples stumbled and fell with Jesus. They went um, and, and saw miraculous events with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. I mean, like really, really been with Jesus. A lifestyle of being with Jesus. And it made a difference. People looked and said, this is not somebody who has just met Jesus. They have been with Jesus. Because even some of these religious leaders met Jesus. They had kind of been with Jesus, but not like recognizing who he was and really paying attention. And I think um, more than merely spending time in the vicinity of Jesus, they noticed and truly paid attention to Jesus. So let me ask us, um, have we been in the presence of God? Yes. I can answer that for you. The psalmist is one uh, who says um, we can, there is nowhere we can go apart from his spirit. If we go to the heights, he is there. The depths, he is there. Um, Through the good and the bad, he is there. So it's not a question of have you been in God's presence. The question is, are we paying attention to God's presence? Do we really understand what it is to be in the presence of Almighty God? Um, I think I might have uh, shared this, this story even in one of our meetings before with your team. Uh, one, of the, one of the ways that we would try and keep our kids occupied when they were younger at a, at a restaurant was uh, we'd play the game I Spy. You ever played that? You know what I'm talking about? I Spy. I Spy with my little eye something that is orange. And so when that person would identify something in the room that is orange, then we would just start trying to figure out, okay, what could it be? Is it that sign over the, over the doorway? Is it that, uh, that picture on the back of the menu? What is it? And what was always amazing to me was what first started off as, I, I don't even think there's any orange in here. It suddenly dawned on me, there is so much orange in here, I can't believe it, because I started looking for that. And, and I think Peter and John realized that God is in all things. They had been with Jesus. And even though at that point Jesus had ascended and gone back with his Father in heaven, I think they still saw God colors everywhere they went. 
they still recognized this is this is for real. This is here right now. So how much are we paying attention to? How much are we noticing God? A real simple spiritual practice that you can engage in is called the examine. And it's just a way at the end of the day or at the end of a week to review and to ask yourself, so where where did I notice God's activity and God's um, God's presence in my day? When was I filled with love and joy and peace? Because I recognized that he was there. Um, and and likewise, those are the consolations, and the opposite of that would just be a desolation. Were there times when you just flew through your day, never really pausing to remember that God was in that with you? And it's not necessarily the high times and the low times of your day. It's really a time, regardless of the high or the low, did you recognize that He was with you? So they were with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. And I want to um, just encourage us to... How can we press pause at the end of the day, tonight, as your head is hitting the pillow? How can you kind of say, God, where, where did you make your presence especially known to me? And how can, can, how can I wake up and live more alert to your presence tomorrow? So I think some of it has to do with paying attention. But I think there's another aspect of being that is really hard for us in our Um, go fast, prove ourselves, do a lot um, society. What is it like to be with Jesus? And this is where I'm kind of, for those of you that um, this church is your home and more than your home, this is a place where you have served and you have poured your life out. Can we admit that sometimes um, we're weary from our serving? We're weary from doing good. Um, and sometimes I think we're, we're striving and we're doing on uh, this with a little bit of a performance-based mentality. With what I'm doing, I think um, maybe this is getting God's attention. Maybe this is getting God's approval. And there is something powerful about just realizing that God is okay with us just being in His presence. Not always having to do and to earn Will God love me just because of, I, uh, of who I am? Um, a Henry Nouwen book, uh, Life of the Beloved, was uh, real inspirational to me. And I was journaling not too long after reading that book. And I was thinking about just it was in a season of my life where striving was, was probably the predominant characteristic. And uh, so this were, these were some, some journal thoughts that I had. Um, God, you graciously call me beloved. Strip me of the notions of my wannabe self and my wish I wasn't self. The false self has to go. And I finally identified what my false self is. It is anything I identify myself by other than beloved. My false self, instead of resting and being the beloved, expends enormous energy attempting to be witty, be strong, be unique, be right, be good, and even be spiritual. Help me to rest as beloved. Jesus, just before embarking on his three-year ministry, heard a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved. Before he really did anything, he was loved for simply being. Jesus rested in his identity as the beloved. Jesus squeezed in a lot of doing in three years of ministry, but his being, not his doing, identified him. He daily shed the wannabe self 
and daily crucified the what others want me to be self, and he was the beloved. Today, Lord, I accept my calling to be loved by you. Beloved, be loved, and all I do, loved, and all my not doing, loved. Can a watching world see in you someone who rests in their belovedness? Who can be drawn to, um, drawn to you because they know they're going to be closer to the one that you have been with? And then uh, we get to verse 18. And it says, Then they called them in again and commanded them, commanded Peter and John, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him, you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. This was not just some theory. This was not something that they picked up in a class. It was like we were there. We have experienced something. He has done a work in us, and there is no way we can keep that to ourselves. This is something that is too good to hold on to just for us. He has done such a fresh work in us. We want to. We have to. We have this inner compulsion to share this everywhere we go. Um, So I think this was kind of, if we were to say this, uh, this picture of water represents Jesus and this is uh, Peter and John's life, you got to understand it wasn't like they encountered Jesus. They had this relationship with Jesus where they, they hung out every now and then. When they had been with Jesus, this is what it looked like. And they were told not to speak or teach. And they're like, we, we have to. We can't help it. So what if this was us? What if this was us? And we go out into the world, and we're making our way into whatever it is that we... Oops. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I got a little Jesus on you. <laughs> but that's it right there. As we go, he spills out. And it's not this, this um, okay, if we can just come up with the, right, with the right program that I can pour myself out. It is a, as we go and as we walk, there is this ongoing work. And we can't help but tell others. Just as I was saying earlier, we live in a county where, yeah, it's wealthy, intellectual. Um, they got a lot of creature comforts, but they're suffering. Can I also say people here are thirsty? People here are really thirsty. And there will be some people that if I were to walk down this aisle, I bet I would get a mixture of, of responses. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, you might kind of go, okay, watch out. Um, um, or maybe you're thirsty enough that you just open your mouth. You're like, I want to catch some of that. And I think those are the type of people that we will encounter as we go in your workplace, in your neighborhoods. The people that God brings across your path, some of them are really thirsty. And they're going to want what you have. There's something about it, and it's contagious in that way. 
the cup plays a pretty significant role in Jesus' closing time here on earth. He gathered together his, his friends whom he had been pouring himself out into um, for, for those three years. And he, um, you know, I think it was interesting just kind of with some of the readings that I was doing just this, this last week for my time alone with God. I was uh, reading about Jesus' first miracle where he turned water into wine. Um, I'm not able to, to pull that off. Um, but um, but uh, his first miracle was turning water into wine at that at wedding in Cana. And I was thinking, you know, he's still kind of doing the same thing where he is making people experience a deep joy as he invites people to this wedding feast, this eternal wedding feast. And there is an aspect of, of the cup and the way he has poured himself out that we have an opportunity to taste of that, to, to accept his invitation to that wedding feast. And I think the only thing that's maybe a little bit more miraculous than Jesus turning water into wine is that he invites me to the table to drink of what that wine represents. What a, what a miracle that he has taken a broken soul and he has made me his, and I am his beloved. And it is out of my belovedness that I can come to the table and remember what he has done for me. So um, I just want to encourage you to, uh, as you prepare for communion, um, Jan, I believe you're going to be the one that will, will help us up here. Um, I want to ask you just to go ahead and bow your heads uh, again to prepare uh, yourself personally for receiving this. Um, and would you just in the stillness allow yourself to hear God call you beloved? And as you, um, in a few moments when you come up to partake, let that name, you being his beloved, um, Remind you that you're not taking this communion, this uh, of this cup and this bread because of something special that you've done or you finally have earned it. You are receiving it as one of the beloved. Paul said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for sending your son. Jesus, we thank you for, for this life that we have, for your blood that was shed for us, your body offered for us that's up over us. May we, with a deep and renewed sense of awe and gratitude, hear ourselves called the Beloved, and may we taste the degree to which you went to, that we may be called the beloved. That's in your name I pray. Amen.